This is a beautiful day and a wonderful time to be in this cathedral. If you look up, you see, not literally straight up, but up and to the side, um, you see what is really the, the, the glory of this place, which are the clerestory windows all up top, all of which were designed and produced by a gentleman named Charles Connick. Um, hey, Noel, if you'll come down just a hair, it'll take the ping away. Thank you. Better. Is that better? The glory of this place are these stained glass windows above us, the Cleary Story windows. Um, Charles Connick was the designer, and when you see them, especially on a day like today, you immediately see what was his favorite color, blue. He absolutely loved blue, and he, he, he wrote in his great book that a part of his fascination with blue was his fascination was with blue in the, in the natural world. He said he just absolutely loved blue skies. He loved creeks and rivers. He loved glaciers. He loved reflective pools. It fascinated him wherever he saw it, which made him, of course, the perfect stained glass window designer and maker for the cathedral in Colorado because blue is one of the great symbols of this state. He also loved blue for religious reasons. His, one of his favorite Bible verses was a verse from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, which speaks of the Lord God Almighty walking on a pavement of sapphire. And it was so blue, the book of Exodus tells us, that it matched the clarity of the heavens. And Connick just loved that. He also wrote that prophets, priests, and poets have announced, preached, and sung in terms of the color blue. The only thing he was missing in that line, he was writing in the 1930s, and it disappoints me that he didn't add in there blues musicians. Because blues in the 30s was already traveling throughout the South. But Connick, God bless him, had only traveled in Europe in the eastern seaboard. So there was only so much he knew. He loved this color. He absolutely loved this color. But what really fascinated him was, and this is why the name of his book was Adventures in Light and Color. He knew you don't get the colors without the light. And so the western light, particularly on a day like today, gives him so much to work with. February the 2nd is the Feast of the Presentation, what's sometimes called Candlemas, which is why you have these lovely um, candelabra lit so beautifully down the center aisle on this day. It's a reference to the Song of Simeon, which we've already heard sung so beautifully, in which Simeon gives this blessing of Jesus, and in the blessing speaks of Christ as being the light that will enlighten the nations this incredible light that comes into the world. So it's traditional to have candles, many more candles lit on the Feast of the Presentation, Candlemas, although it doesn't quite compare to the light that streams through the stained glass windows above us. This story, just like the stained glass windows, does not really concern um, abstract ideas, like light and darkness, what it's really about are people. 
The Feast of the Presentation is when 40 days after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph as faithful Jews bring Jesus to the temple for what's called his presentation and what's called sometimes the purification of Mary. All of this, Luke tells us in this gospel, required by Jewish law, which means to to many of us perhaps, especially Christians, a lot of that is lost to history, the hows and the whys of all that is going on here. The two great characters in this story are Simeon and Anna, and they only occur in this story, so we don't know a whole lot about them, but Luke tells us enough just enough to get our to stir our imagination. He lets us know that they are young at heart. They've been waiting for a long, long time for the coming of the Messiah. He tells us they are devout and they are eloquent as they celebrate the coming of this light into the temple and above all the coming of this light into the every corner and crevice of the whole cosmos, a day, a celebration of the light that is Jesus Christ. In my last parish, I vividly remember interviewing for that job. When you're a priest and you're interviewing to be a, a rector or a dean, it works really, to be honest with you, just like any other job interview does in the sense that You meet with a lot of people who are going to make that decision and you kind of um, are tempted both as interviewer and as interviewee to focus upon your, your strengths, what all you've done well, right? And we were doing a little bit of that, and I was getting to know and, 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 and learn that somebody on the search committee, so it was basically her vote, among other few others, if, if I would get the job, was a psychiatrist. And I was thinking a little bit about that, and we, we finished up some interviews, and we're getting a cup of coffee, and, and she and I happened to walk to, to the coffee together, and she said, you know, these interviews are funny, aren't they? I said, yeah, they kind of are funny, especially for a priest. And she said, yeah. And then she said, and I'd never heard these words before, the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. Now, I had never heard that before, so I thought she made it up on the spot. So she just became a a kind of prophet, uh, you know, immediately in my eyes. And I hung on her every word for years. I eventually did learn that that quote is attributed to Jung, who said it first. Um, But nevertheless, it holds a great degree of, um, of wisdom and truth in it, and especially on this feast day in which we think so much and reflect so much and sing so much and enjoy so much all of this light but the brighter the light the darker the shadow and this gospel reading has a great shadow or shadows in it and it's found primarily in one line that Simeon says at the end of this reading, and he says to Joseph and above all to Mary, this child is destined to be a sign of the rising and falling of Israel and a sign that will reveal the inner thoughts of many, a sign of division and 
a sword will pierce your own heart too. The division bit, this is foreshadowing the cross, of course. In this moment in the temple, Christ is held by the people who love him most deeply and tenderly. His parents, Anna, Simeon, those gathered around in, in faith to receive the Messiah. But at the end of Christ's life, of course, he will be held by people who do not love or care for him, but serve at the behest of sheer power that is the Roman emperor and the Roman soldiers and guards, all of which will execute him at the end. And the bit about the sword is, is a bit about Mary's heartbreaking in that very moment at the end of Christ's life. That's the shadow That's the shadow on the feast of the presentation, that prophecy from Simeon. There's also the shadow that's within our own lives, of course. The shadow is created by the light that shines within us. All of us do the best we can, do the best we can to follow Christ. But no matter how hard we try, the spiritual life, like the emotional life, does not move in a straight line. It has a lot of twists and turns. It has a lot of ups and downs. It's just like the growth of a child who has to get taller and hopefully wiser but faces all kinds of challenges as the child grows. The spiritual life, like the life of the mind or the life of the heart, never moves in a straight line. The good news is that as we attempt to follow Christ, as we attempt to say these prayers, as we attempt, in the words of the baptismal covenant, to strive for justice and peace, we have really good company here at St. John's Cathedral. All of you in the pews who are on pursuit of self-awareness just like the rest of us. So we're not alone. And above all, we're not alone because Christ... Christ as a companion with us. I was really moved this morning at the 8 o'clock service. I'd only focused on the gospel reading as I prepared to preach, and I had not paid any attention to the letter to the Hebrews. And I've never even thought about this line in 45 years of my life being in church that Christ did not come to help the angels in the letter to the Hebrews. That's beautiful. You know why it's beautiful? The angels are pure, perhaps perfect, I don't know personally. And they're sort of one-dimensional, which means they're totally unlike us. (laughs) Totally unlike us. And Christ didn't come to help them, he came to help us. And it's because of his own humanity he can relate to us in whatever it is we face. Or in the words of Richard Baxter, a great 17th century Puritan and poet, Christ leads us through no darker rooms than he himself has entered before.